2: Good evening, everyone. We're in Los Angeles tonight, bringing you a special edition of The Readout, focusing on two examples of the epidemic of violence in the United States. And no, this time, not mass shootings, which we talk about so often on this show. We're talking about the kind of person-to-person violence and police violence that we also cannot seem to get free of in the United States. Just hours after the release of body cam footage showing an intruder attacking former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's husband, Paul Pelosi, with a hammer in the couple's home late last year. An outgrowth of the right wing extremism and political violence that's become all too familiar. In this hour, the nation is bracing for the release of the video showing Memphis police officers beating 29 year old Tyree Nichols for three straight minutes, ultimately resulting in his death. The five officers involved have been fired and are facing second-degree murder charges. Ben Crump, one of the attorneys for the Nichols family, said Tyree's last words in the video footage were gut-wrenching screams for his mom. Tyree's mother, Rovon Wells, addressed that horrific moment today.
3: For a mother to know that their child was calling them in their need and I wasn't there for him, do you, do you know how I feel right now? Because I wasn't there for my son. I want to say to the five police officers that murdered my son, you also disgraced your own families when you did this. But you know what? I'm going to pray for you and your families. Because at the end of the day, this shouldn't have happened. I'm going to always know that I'll always be with him because I told everyone he has a tattoo of my name Mm -hmm. on his arm. My son loved me to death and I loved him to death.
2: Joining me now from Memphis is NBC News correspondent, Antonia Hilton. Uh, Antonia, uh, look, I've been getting texts all day from people saying they, they are not sure they even want to see this and that they're worried about it and that they're having incredible anxiety about it. I can only imagine the amount of anxiety that people are feeling in Memphis tonight.
4: It's really heavy here, Joy. People that I've been talking to are having the same conversations Many people have told me they're not planning to watch it, or if they do, they're only going to watch a very short portion of it. We have just received about an hour's worth of footage. In fact, um, I received a copy of the videos. It's broken up into multiple parts um, just a few minutes before 6 p.m. local time. Um, I only had time to watch the very beginning. And um, what I can tell people who are going to watch it tonight is, The interaction goes from zero to 100 immediately. Um, You don't see any evidence of Tyree Nichols committing any kind of driving infraction or crime. It's very hard to understand what's precipitating. Um, And the moment the officers are outside of the car, they are immediately aggressive with Tyree Nichols. Um, Weapons are drawn. He ends up on the ground very quickly um, and I had to stop watching at the point at which he started to flee, um, and so I have not watched what we've heard most people describe as the three minutes of um, intense beating yet. But Joy, it is a lot.
2: It is, and uh, and, I, and I think everyone understands uh, why because this is a human being, uh, and so uh, you know we we do have the video now. And Antonia, thank you very much. I really appreciate you. I am going to. Thank you. Uh, and then let you all know that we also have the video now. Antonia mentioned that she watched a piece of it. Uh, so we're going to show you a little bit of this, a little bit of this. But I first, I do want to say something first. And I think this is important. Number one, th- we're going to show you this video because you pay for the police. The police work for the public. They work for you. If you're in Memphis, they work for you. They're supposed to protect and serve you. Your tax dollars pay their salaries and their union benefits. And so they are public servants in the most basic sense of the word. And when they do something that seems to violate in every way the idea of protection and service, uh, the public that pays them has a right to know what they're doing. We have a right to public disclosure about what they do. But I want to really emphasize, and I think this is very important, um, to understand that to watch this is not for the purposes of prurience. Right. Americans watch a lot of violence. We watch a lot of violent TV shows, a lot of violent films. And we watch them and sometimes get numb to that violence. This is not violence you should become numb to. This is somebody's child. This is somebody, uh, a mom and a dad's son. Um, this is somebody's dad. This is somebody's friend and brother and cousin. Um, and we're going to show you this video with the warning that it is violent, but it also is a depiction of the kind of police violence that normally happens outside your view. And the speed with which you're seeing this is unusual. It is not the way it normally goes down when police are involved in killing someone. And so it's all unusual. These are all black officers who, if they didn't have their uniforms on, could be this young man. All right, so that is the context that I want to give you before we show this video. You can see there in Memphis, people are bracing themselves for it as well. So I'm going to show you that, and then we're going to have some reaction um, from some folks throughout the show. So we'll go ahead and play that now.
5: Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood
6: Get the fuck out of the uh, cup. Get, get the, the fuck up. out the fucking cup! Damn, I didn't do anything. Hey, yo, I didn't hurt your ass, bro. All, right, all right, all right, all right, all right. On the ground, all right, all right, all right. All right. on the ground, all right, all right, all right. Hey, so, no, you don't do that, okay? Get on the
7: fucking Dude, ground! Get
4: on the Dude, ground! I your
7: ass,
4: All all right. I'm on the ground. Lay down, lay down, Please yeah, take on I'm the, the ground. Okay. I am okay. think to
6: tased you. you get on the ground. I know. One. Okay, now. Stop. I'm all right. OK.
4: I'm all right. All your right.
6: All right. Break your shit. OK, okay. dude. Damn. Turn the fuck around. Put your I mean, fucking hands on. Bitch, put your hands on your back. Okay, put, OK, stop. I'm going to knock bro. your ass the fuck okay, out. you guys are really doing a lot right now. Bro, lay down. I'm, I'm just trying to go hard. Lay down. Man, if you don't lay down. I am on the ground. on your stomach. I am on the i got you. i sorry. Oh, i'm not doing it oh
8: shit
0: <laughs>
1: 2938 where it rains and Ross taser was deployed suspect is running down Ross to
6: young male black slim build blue jeans and a hoodie okay, I'm
7: Just down on Ross, when we last saw him.
3: Okay,
7: can him, on him? what's up? I got you. Alright, hang on, hang on.
3: Ready? Alright, just straight.
7: One of the prongs hit the bastard. Alright, your car is right in front of you. Look at my car, grab my water. Alright, hang on.
3: on Where's your water? I can't see
4: shit. Okay, I got
7: you.
4: Get more water? Here.
0: Right here. Negative twenty nine thirty-eight.
6: Where are my damn glasses
3: at?
7: Okay,
0: sit huh? up
4: are I left fire,
6: We have up a longer we me me again. Left again?
8: Yeah. I can't see Jack. Shit. My glasses when he was fighting me. job.
6: job.
1: Negative, we just Negative saw him running up, down Ross. Down Ross. <sighs> so we're making it laugh. Yeah. <sighs> <sighs>
6: All right, uh, all right, ready? Yeah.
7: Wow. Right Right
4: uh. there. This way wrong?
1: That way.
8: I gotta find my glasses and get this damn taser downloaded. Wait, what? Right ah,
0: twenty-nine
7: thirty-one. Okay, I'm gonna start MMT. I'm gonna hit you, boys. Okay. Um, thing
8: over
1: 2938, did you also read that I deployed my taser?
2: 102938,
6: I have that down. I have a of coming Check. check the Check we that That way. That way. Thin male black, blue jeans, and a plaid jacket. Hey,
4: dude, I just, I gave you the tag, no longer. I'll be able to give you the information, number.
8: You good right now, guys? Yes. Give me the answer, number. Huh?
7: Damn, what I'm with He found oh, him. wrong. Check. Southgate Lane. Longing, Southgate Check. i Gracias.
1: Uh, Martin and all them are over there chasing
2: them. Okay. Live TV. So we are watching this in real time with you. And so what it looks like, this is the preliminary aspects of what would become an ultimately deadly traffic stop. We saw, um, the initial traffic stop. Uh, we saw, um, the young man attempt Tyree Nichols, um, apparently attempt to flee and get tased. The officers seem to have deployed pepper spray and maybe pepper sprayed each other. And we've seen something like that. So that is the first video that we've seen. Um, I'm going to let you know that Tim Alexander, he is a civil rights attorney and former um, officer himself, is standing by. You can see that in Memphis, they are also standing by. Okay, I want to bring in Tim Alexander, a civil rights attorney and a a former police officer himself. Tim, I I don't know if you were able to see all of that. We played those two videos. What appears to have happened, um, Tim, is that officers stopped uh, Tyree Nichols. Um, he wound up fleeing. They put him on the ground. Uh, He got up and tried to flee. They tased him. They deployed pepper spray. They seemed to have sprayed one another in the face with the pepper spray. And then they caught up to him, uh, closer to his home. And then this, uh, beating happened that we just played, uh, on air. So the questions, I, I have a couple questions for you, Tim. Um, this idea of the fleeing felon rule. Um, the idea that when a person runs from police, they actually wind up being in more danger. Um, Why does it so often seem to happen that police get hopped up on the adrenaline and anger uh, of somebody um, running from them? And, you know, I don't know how often it happens, but that seems to be a precursor more often than not to something like this.
6: Um, Your thoughts. So. Uh, and, and thank you for having me. The, the reality here is that these officers became emotionally hijacked, that they perceived because from what I saw, the first video and the second video, um, uh, the young man, Mr. Nichols, didn't do anything that. Uh, in fact, he was the only one in the first segment that actually said, OK, stop. He was trying to calm these officers down. And instead, they became more and more hyped. I'm going to tase them. I'm going to mace them. Uh, and then he he stands up and he gets away. Regardless of all that activity, he gets away from them and, and they chase him and they continue to chase him. That, that drilling is pumping and no one comes on the scene and says, okay, everybody take a deep breath. Because if you recall on the first video, the one while of the officers was, was running, the dispatcher asked, well, what's the charge? And he could not respond. He didn't say anything. So the reality here is that these guys were hyped up on one fact and one fact only, that this young man had the gall to run from them, and they were going to hunt him down. And that's exactly what we saw. And then it just, it just deteriorated from there.
2: And, you know, and this is the thing, is that it seems to me that people keep talking about, well, it's the training, it's the training, we need to change the training. But it seems to me that the training is uh, that— is pure authoritarianism. It's that, you know, even an escalation of your voice allows them to escalate to physical violence, that police uh, demand uh, complete and utter obeisance, right? Rather than just compliance, it's compliance isn't even enough. And that they seem to feel that they are allowed if you in any way resist uh, what they're telling you to do or even speak up to them, that they have the right to go overboard, to get emotional, as you said. That seems to me to be a problem that is universal (laughs) across police departments, regions, states, everywhere. Why do you suppose that is and why can't we do anything about it?
6: So. I, I know you identify it as maybe the training is not the factor, but I believe the training is now. I'm not necessarily referring to the academy training, the structured environment, the disciplined environment. I'm talking about this the secondary training when they're on the street and they're working with their their field training officer, the FTO, and that person or persons that they rotate are, are teaching them the ways of the, the uh, uh, you know the neighborhoods and how to interact with everybody. And I think that's where it becomes dysfunctional in some instances. And you see, as you described properly, this total uh, authoritarianism and and this, you will do everything I say, uh, exactly how I say it. And if I don't say it correctly, you better figure it out and do it anyway. As they were telling him to go on the ground, he's like, I'm on the ground. Well, lay on your belly because that's that's not what they wanted him to do. Initially, they wanted him to be flat on the ground and they were so hyped up that they didn't convey it. And you're correct. But I believe it does come back to the training. It comes back to training these dysfunctional norms. Uh, it, it comes to training um, uh, biases that become implicit biases that these officers uh, have inside of them about why they chased after him in the first place and it just de-escalates from there or i'm sorry not de-escalate escalates from there and it creates such a situation that we saw what we saw there where this officer teed off to kick this young man in the face and then they pulled him off the ground so that they could punch him and and attempt the uh quote-unquote knockout punch uh as you saw that one officer trying to do it was it's just deplorable yeah
2: Okay, well, I'm going to ask you to stay just right here, Tim Alexander. We have another piece of body cam video. I, I have lots of people that I want to talk to. I have uh, the mayor uh, of Los Angeles that is here um, that uh, I'm going to talk with, Rep- uh, Mayor Karen Bass. I love that, a Mayor. We, we have more folks to talk to, including um, the father um, of Tyree Nichols. So we're going to ask them to please hold on. But I do want to warn you, this is video with audio, body cam footage of um, what happened to uh, Tyree Nichols. Uh, so, brace yourself and here it is. It's Monday
1: night.
6: You a first, you. Hey! Gimme your hand! Gimme your, your hand! You boys get sprayed again! Hey! Hey Mike! Hey! Give me out here bro! Mom. Watch out! Watch out! Watch
3: out! Mom! Mom! Gimme Give
6: Give me your hand! Mom! Hey! Gimme your hand! Gimme Okay alright alright Gimme your uh, fucking hand!
4: Gimme your
3: hand! Alright! Okay! All right.
6: Give huh? Right. your hey. Give me
0: your hands hey.
6: again. Hey, give me hand, right. Spray. Give right. your hand, okay.
7: oh, oh, oh. Give me your <laughs> hands, bro. Give me your hands. bro. Oh shit! Give Give me Give me
6: Alright, yeah, I heard. Give me your hand, bro. Give me your hand. Give me your Give me a fucking
3: hand. Right get hand. Right,
6: give me your hand. Give me your hand. Give me your hand. Come around. Lay back. Lay back, back gotcha. Yeah.
7: All
6: right. Shit. All right. Shit. All right. Oh, shit. Give, me give me a, a fucking... Puff- am you were. i, 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 I I'm 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 am give a i am give you a Watch out! I'ma butthurt the fuck out you. He the fucking hands. He the watch out. Watch out. Give it hands. Give it your hands. Give it your hands. Same location. Ross the counter, counter. Watch the
3: counter, counter.
4: What's it? What's
3: it? Your Give me your fucking hands.
6: Give me your hand! Give me your fucking hand! Give me your hand! Come on come on. Give me your hand. Ross and Castlegate. We are east of the intersection.
3: three <laughs> Yeah. You Dude, trying, we say, we I said, Who is that?
7: Somebody's telling me, you have a gate.
3: That's right, that's right. I think. No, I got a one-shot you say, Hell
2: Okay, I want to bring in Mayor Karen Bass, mayor of Los Angeles. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, And, you know, it's it's been a lot. So uh, I do want to talk to you about this because uh, you happen to be the mayor uh, of a city that people first sort of connected with police violence around, obviously, the Rodney King situation. Mm -hmm. And I think people immediately thought of this. And even the mayor in Memphis described this video as very similar. Mm -hmm. And you see the similar kinds of police violence. It's been a long time that we are still seeing the exact same procedures, the exact same rage by police officers when someone flees from them and treating this person. You know, we've seen serial killers, mass murder, mass shooters brought in with, with more peacefully. Absolutely. than we're seeing people who are pulled over for a traffic stop. That That's ran. Right. So what's what's wrong with our system?
3: Uh, Well, first of all, you know, uh, thank you for having me on. You were absolutely correct. I mean, Rodney King was over 30 years ago. And uh, the idea that we're still seeing this type of violence, and you could see the herd type mentality. They were angry, and they were going to take it out on him. Uh, The last, you know, segment, you were talking about training. I do believe that training is important, but leadership is important. And I just want to commend the uh, police chief In Memphis, because she fired the officers immediately. She had them arrested and charged immediately. And that's the signal that needs to go out because, you know, most of the time that's not the case. I mean, we struggle for the video to be released. We struggle for anyone to make a definitive statement. And so it's about leadership as well.
2: Well, this is the thing that I am thinking about. You know, I think about the Laquan Alexander case. You think of all these other cases where You have to almost sue police to get the video. It takes, you know, months and months. You can't get the names of the officers. You can't get any information. And you certainly wouldn't have video this quickly uploaded to the Memphis police YouTube channel. And so the disclosure here feels to me different. And and I, I I, maybe I'm just cynical and maybe I've just been around too long, but I feel like because you have African-American officers here, so there's no race question on the table. And so there's nothing that would give anyone pause to say, Oh no, we can talk about this police brutality in your mind, just as somebody who knows this world and is in the Mm -hmm. political world. Do you think that factored into how quickly we've seen, um, what what it definitely looks like a path towards some justice for this family.
3: Well, I'll say the police chief is also an African. American. Absolutely. Everyone and involved is a, African-American and a woman. Yeah. But you know what? It does speak to what is wrong with policing in the United States, which was why I worked so hard on the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, because it is a national issue. We need to look at law enforcement, period. There are different types of mentality. There's the guardian mentality that's traditional protect and serve that often is not done with our communities. Then there's the warrior style of policing. What we saw was the warrior style of policing. But to me, unless there are very specific consequences and the leadership, I don't care how much you train people. Officers have to know that there will be consequences. They will lose their job. And also that they can't just go to another department. That's why we wanted to have the uh, database so that an officer couldn't just go from one department to the next, like what
2: happened with Tommy Rice. Exactly. So it, I mean, the thing is, is that you right and. We don't have the ability, uh, families can't sue an individual police officer. They're immune from lawsuits. Um, Even if there's a a huge settlement in some of these cases um, in which a person dies, the settlement comes from the taxpayer. It doesn't come from the police pension. It doesn't come from them. So it almost feels like we've set up a risk-free environment for police to be their worst selves. If you get angry because this person ran from you like Tyree Nichols did, you can wallop them, you can take it out on them and do whatever you want, knowing that the likelihood likelihood that you'll be arrested, that the likelihood that you'll go to jail because police, as you said, they put the warrior style is mainly only used on black and brown folks.
3: Exactly. It it feels cost free. So they do it. Exactly. I mean, the benefit of the doubt is given just like after the uh, murder in South Carolina. I mean, they took him out to lunch. Before they arrested. That's
2: correct. Got him some Burger King.
3: Exactly. Exactly. But it really does come down to leadership. It comes down to leadership in the city. It comes down to leadership in the police department. But officers have to understand that there's consequences. But the other thing is, is that, too, there should be a policy, a duty to intervene. Yes. The herd mentality was no one intervened. They used him as a punching bag. There, There was no concern. For his well-being. Yeah. And I understand that later when the paramedics come, they didn't even intervene for yeah. quite some time. Yeah. I'm sure that he did not have to die. Yeah.
2: And, and it, it that is the problem is that is there a basic respect for the human life in front of you? Because it certainly seems that police are absolutely capable of professional conduct right. because they arrest literal mass shooters and they do it. Completely peacefully, and the person goes to exactly where they belong, straight to jail.
3: And it's also not just a question of behavior, because that's often said. Well, if you would have just complied, that's just not the case, because there's also numerous videotapes of other people who were completely not compliant. That's right. We're even fighting the police, that's and right. the police used tremendous restraint.
2: They know uh, upon whom they can do violence uh, exactly. with impunity, and they do as uh, it should. Uh, you know, they do accordingly. Um, thank you, Madam Mayor. Thank Thank you you so much for being here. It's wonderful to be in your city, uh, the great Karen Bass. Thank (laughs) you very much. Um, I I do want to bring in Reverend Earl Fisher. He's the senior pastor of Abyssinian Baptist Church in Memphis. I want to get your reaction just to all of this, you know, the the rapid disclosure, the unusual quick disclosure, um, the unusually quick charges, the unusual disclosure of the video, and obviously uh, the violence done upon the body of this uh, young man, Tyree Nichols. Well,
8: first, Joy, thank you for uh, having me. There's no way that I could have uh, braced myself for what I heard. I was trying my best not to look at the video footage and couldn't look at it in its entirety, Um, all manner of emotions surrounding um, what I heard and even what you all have described. I think it's impossible for us to calculate the impact of this video in this moment and the developments over the last several days. And I heard Mayor Bass and I appreciate her uh, perspective insofar as the developments from the outside. Let me say something about the developments from the inside. It is leadership indeed. And it is the leadership of fierce and faithful activists and organizers and community leaders who have been pushing for reforms that probably could have prevented this for the last several years. And so there is some kudos to be given to city administration and the Memphis Police Department. And at the same time, we have to discuss exactly how this came to be. And it is reflective of a culture of brutality within this police department and other police departments like it all across the country. And I just don't want us to jump too fast to try to applaud people in some ways have been helping to manufacture and maintain the conditions that caused this to happen.
2: I think that's really important because, you know, the those structures are put in place and are supported um, by, cam- by, by tremendous amounts of campaign contributions that keep politicians in line and prevent reform. I mean, I think about, um, you know, Karen Bass, when she was in the Congress trying to do police reform uh, and it being undermined, the sheriffs uh, nationally got together. They went to Lindsey Graham and suddenly Tim Scott's supposed sort of crowning achievement as a senator was thrown in the garbage. And it's, political and it's about who's giving contributions to whom. And what's lost is the humanity of the people who are most policed. Uh, and that is yes. mainly people of color, Black people. Um, I, I want to ask yeah. if you've had a chance to talk with the family. I know we are we are going to talk to um, Roddy Wells, who is Tyree Nichols' dad. Have you had a chance to, to convene with the family as yet?
8: Yeah, I've encountered them a couple of times at a press conference, even last night at the prayer vigil and- Even before seeing and hearing some of this, my heart goes out to them and to the point that you were making earlier, knowing that this is more about the culture of policing and people are responsible and accountable at several different levels. We have to talk about how this unit itself that these people were a part of ultimately got implemented? Who was responsible for that? How are you serving for five or fewer years on the force and ending up with enough autonomy and independence and lack of oversight to produce something like this? And nobody should objectively think that this is their first time doing this. And you cannot say this is one or two bad apples. I mean, if two is a crowd, you know, if two is a company and three is a crowd, five is a system and a structure that we have to challenge and have been challenging yeah. for quite some time and the reforms that we have been proposing either have not been enforced or often were resisted and reduced to little or nothing. So there there are plenty of people who have to be accountable, not just these five officers. And then there are plenty of people who have to put into context the things that have been happening over the years. And we have to continue to center this for, of course, the peculiarity related to this video and this particular family. And, of course, mm-hmm. I'm telling you to uh, the family of Tyree Nichols, I, all of the pastors that I know, all of the activists that I know, all of the people the goodwill that I know are trying to stand in solidarity with them. And all of us know it is bigger than them. There are people in the city of Memphis right now who bear the burden and the scars and the trauma of all manner of police brutality. But because of the grace of God, they just did not die. So they didn't become a Mm -hmm. hashtag to this degree. So we have to do better all across the board.
2: Absolutely. You know, this is not people don't suddenly behave this way all in a group for the first time. People behave the way they know they have been allowed to behave. And so you're absolutely right. It's a systemic problem. And and anybody who argues that it isn't is just uh, living in a dream world. Uh, Reverend Earl Fisher, thank you very much. Uh, joining me now from Memphis is Rodney Wells, Tyree Nichols' father. Um, uh, Mr. Wells, I first want to give our, our deepest condolences To you. Um, You should not have to be here tonight to talk about losing your son. Um, But I thank you for being gracious enough to do it anyway. Um, I want to give you a moment um, rather than to talk about the horrors that we just saw. I want you to tell us about Tyree. I want you to tell us who he was as a person, as a living person, um, and what he meant to his family. Uh,
7: Tyree was a sweetheart. He had a very infectious personality. Every time, uh, you know, we worked together. So everybody at my job loved him to death. Uh, he was the kind of guy, when you come in the door, he you can't walk past him without getting a hug. You know, he's going to make sure, if you get past him, he's going to make sure that you come back and give him a hug. Uh, he's just that kind of person. And everybody adored him. Uh, when we had, uh, when this first happened, we had a candle, I mean a balloon release at my job, and it was over a hundred employees in the parking lot for the balloon release. Everybody wants to, uh, everybody loves Tyree. He's the kind of person that you see the good in. He was his own person. He didn't follow trends. I remember I bought him a $200 pair of tennis shoes, some Nike Air Maxes, and a size 12. I couldn't wear them. I gave them to him. He didn't want them. He didn't want He wanted Vans. You know, he likes to uh, skateboard. He likes to take pictures of the sunset. He loves his son, and he loves photography. Um, you know, I'm from L.A., so we had a saying for guys like that. We called them Valley Boys. Because they were not from the tracks. They weren't from the streets. You know, Uh, they used to skateboard and surfboard and, you know, things that we didn't do. So that was Tyree.
2: What, um, if anything, would you say if you could speak to these five officers who... uh Could have been Tyree on any the wrong day out of uniform. Um, The way that they treated him, uh, not like he was a brother, uh, even though someone was saying bruh as they were talking to him and beating him. um, But as someone who didn't have a right to live. Uh, And it's shocking when it's to see black men who should know what that would be like doing that. What would you say to them?
7: Hmm. (laughs) What I would want to say to them is They messed with the wrong kid But um, You know As my wife said We pray for them too We pray for their families You know because he's disgraced their whole family From grandmothers to kids You know um, They have to Bear the brunt of what Their parents did Or what their sons did uh, and it's shameful. Um, you know, like I said, again, I'm from LA, so we have a, a, a group of cops out there. We used to call the goon squad and they would do the same type of thing that they're doing here. Uh, so, but back then we didn't have all these video cameras and all these tapes. And so a lot of people were brutalizing, you know, nothing became other, uh, So I don't understand how they thought that they could get away with it in today's time with all of these cameras. You know, I heard the defense attorney saying that this Mr. Mills guy was such a great guy, you know, Hmm. and he probably was in his community around his family. But when he's in these streets, he turns into a monster because these was monsters that did this to my son. You know, as my wife said, my son weighed 150 pounds. Each one of these officers was over 200. That's a thousand pounds. Beating on my son, using him as a pinata, you know, uh, all this unnecessary force that was really not needed for a kid that wasn't resisting or just trying to get home to his parents. That doesn't make common sense to me.
2: I don't think it makes common sense to anyone Uh, that making sense of it is probably a waste of all of our time. But um, thank you for sharing some of your time with us. Uh, Again, our deepest condolences to you, sir. Rodney Wells, thank you, sir. Thank you very much. And God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Joining me now is Brittany Packnick Cunningham, activist, MSNBC political analyst and host of the Undistracted podcast. Frank Frank Figluzzi, former FBI assistant director for counterintelligence and MSNBC national security analyst. And back with me uh, is uh, Tim Alexander. Um, The word disgrace uh, was used um, by Mr. Wells. Um, Brittany, and I'm going to come to you first. Um, And the pastor said earlier that... um, the fact that we've seen this unusually quick disclosure of this disgrace mm. um, was not because the system worked. Mm-hmm. It was because the activists worked. Mm-hmm. You uh, are an activist who um, was prominently involved, obviously, in the Michael Brown case. But just sitting down and writing off the top of my head, Tamir Rice, Walter Scott, Alton Sterling, Philando Castillo, Breonna Taylor, Eric Garner, my- uh, Michael Brown, George Floyd. I just go on and on. I could do a whole list. Yeah. And the thing that a lot of them have in common is that the officers involved felt that if they did not comply with them the way they wanted, that's right. Immediately and become completely flaccid and obedient. Mm -hmm. They deserve to get beaten. They deserve to get shot. They deserve whatever they got. Yeah. That isn't the way serial killers and mass shooters are treated. Mm -hmm. But somehow with these black men and women, that's the way it goes.
1: And even when, Black folks are completely compliant with the police. We die anyway. Even when we pose no threat, even when we're sleeping in our own beds, even when we're trying to enjoy some ice cream and and cool off from a long day. The truth of the matter is, like Pastor Earl said, this is deeply systemic. And there are folks questioning, well, these were black officers and therefore the entire movement falls on its face. But what we've been saying the entire time is that we understand the roots of the tree and that's why we understand the fruits of the tree. Very frankly, this idea of American policing, serving and protecting is actually, true, because they serve white wealthy people and they protect property from the rest of us. So anybody of any color is capable of carrying out that function when American policing so often, as it has been evolved from slave patrols, really deputizes citizens who take that oath to uh, wreak havoc in communities, deputizes people to carry out white supremacy on on the state's behalf. And all of us should be upset that the state— and taxpayer dollars can be used to carry out a death sentence on absolutely anybody. Well,
2: and then that is the point. I think that is such an important point, Tim Alexander, because you know, I read and I think it was in a Rolling Stone piece, and I, I wish I had it in front of me, but I can't remember. But what the person essentially said is that you, you you can't say that the training is flawed because the training actually works as it's designed to work. Is that you know you look at Uvalde and you say, wait a minute, how could there be 317 police there and they didn't they weren't able to stop that shooter? But What the training says is that police need to maximize their own safety. So that means that they did do (laughs) what they were trained to do, which is maximize their own safety, not run in front of bullets. And police in this article said they don't stop crimes. They enforce compliance on the people society wants controlled. And that's what police are trained to do, to make the people society wants to be under control, be under control and to be under their physical control immediately. Or else, I, I do. You having been in the in the job, do you see it that way?
6: No, no, no I don't follow that uh, Rolling Stone piece. T- you know, to that script, I, I think that the what law enforcement is intended to do and it has evolved and it certainly has a long way to go. And let me just add a caveat before I was a police officer, I was a victim of civil rights violations. I was shot at by the police. I was assaulted and charged with a crime I didn't commit and I had to fight and clear my name. So I had that working for me in my career to make sure that I could recognize when those things might happen and, and, and respond appropriately. And I did. So I think that, you know, using that as an example, we can evolve police to the next stage to, to, to match up to what society wants and what society needs. And what we see, what we saw out there with those officers uh, beating this man to death and, you know, take it even bigger than that. You had a. Dispatcher or officer or somebody watching that camera, moving that camera around. Why didn't that person call command staff and say this is happening? So there is a cultural problem there, and I I think that it's systemic, and I believe that that racism is systemic in law enforcement. But that doesn't mean that we we scrap the program. We have to we have to root this out. I believe it starts through training. It, it starts with changing these dysfunctional norms, and get coming up with a program that will work for our society, what we as taxpayers demand, and we've been demanding for many, many years.
2: And, and so I just wrote that down of what society wants, because Frank Fogluzy, the question is, what do we want? Right? Okay, well, we don't want people to speed. But we don't want people to die for speeding. Like, we don't want people to blow a stock Look. sign, we don't want people to, to die for blowing a stop sign, right? I mean, the thing is, what people what people say they want from police is that when a mass shooter comes in the fourth grade classroom, they run in there with their assault weapons and stop the mass shooter. That doesn't happen. What ends up happening is somebody with a tail light out ends up dead in the middle of the street because they happen to be a black guy with a taillight out. So, you know, no matter how police are trained and I look, I have friends who are police. My God brother's retired police officer. So this is to say that police are being told that what we want is for them to stop that person who's five miles over the speed limit by any means necessary. And if they get out of the car, chase them down and do whatever you want. I don't I, That's what they're doing. <laughs> Frank.
0: So, Tim's comments are, are, Tim's Tim's been eloquent and are, and right on the money uh, with much of his comments. I'm going to take it even a step further backwards because he's emphasizing training, which is absolutely correct. And he's also previously e- emphasized the, di- the the disparity between the training that goes on in the academy, which is usually by the book. And the training that really goes on once you hit the field and your training officer and the other veterans are telling you about life on the street that needs to change that's a cultural problem right? That comes from leadership and from the veteran officers and who you select to be the field training officers. But let's back it up before training. Let's talk about, you mentioned, what does a community want? A community gets the police department they have until they demand that it changes and we start recruiting entirely different Character, character traits and personalities to the job. It starts with the recruitment and it goes on through training and you uh, sadly get what you pay for. The training, for example, that I went through at the FBI Academy is incredibly expensive, incredibly long, and it's incredibly strong, right? Mm-hmm. That does not happen in most cities around America. And so Tim also mentioned, you know, leadership. In many progressive successful departments, the sergeant on that shift in that sector is a quarterback who makes the calls because he or she is plugged into it. So, when we see, for example, someone's calling in a chase, we've lost our subject, and a dispatcher is asking, for what charge? There's a purpose for that question because a sergeant is supposed to step in in a good department and go, excuse me, you're chasing somebody? For what? For reckless driving? We don't do that here. That happens in progressive departments around America. Tune in your police scanners in your police department. You you can do it on the internet. Just dial in your police department. You'll hear in a good department, you'll hear a sergeant calling off a chase and saying, you go do this over here. It's more important than what you're doing. Then just tactically, and I know no one wants to, No one cares about this, but I have to. I'm in law enforcement for 25 years. I got to tell you, these are terrible cops from a tactical standpoint. You're telling me they can't control a 150-pound skinny guy? Are you kidding me? Punching him in the face is just stupid. Do you know why from a tactical standpoint? You can break your hand. Your gun hand is now gone. I mean, they're just doing stupid things. Repeatedly kicking somebody is never trained, but also stupid because you're offering your leg to somebody who allegedly is a threat to you. And then no one, everyone's standing around afterwards. I don't see people rendering aid. I don't see, I see people winded and I will tell you, since I supervised civil rights investigations in Northern California for a period of my career, including excessive use of force by police officers, I will tell you there is an unwritten law in many police departments that goes like this. If you make me run, you're getting beaten, period, end of discussion. I've seen it over and over again.
2: And that, that well, I don't, we started with that, with this idea that if you run, you're getting beaten. So I, I will ask you, because you are a, a community activist. So what do we want from police? What, what, what is it that the community, when you talk to folks, what
1: do they want? So I want to back up for a second, Joy, because I feel myself getting hot, if I'm honest. And respectfully to the other guests, I heard the word control quite a bit. And therein lies the problem. Because if we're talking about the ways to properly control a black body, we're not actually identifying the fact that the problem is that you want to control the black body in the first place. This is not about safety. This is not about public safety. That's not about serving and protecting. We're talking about a traffic stop. So, the idea that there is a proper way to control a 150 pound person who is now dead is actually deeply offensive to me. The fact of the matter is, people want safety. People want us to invest our money in the things that truly keep us safe. And I'm sorry, if we keep talking about training millions, billions of dollars have been poured into training. And I say this as someone who used to advocate for these things, but I'm reminded of James Baldwin in this moment. How long do you want us to wait for your progress? Gentlemen, how long do you want us to wait for your progress? You are telling me that more training is the answer. There's been more training. There've been body cameras. There's been a uh, recruitment. There's been additional diversity. There's been money and resources poured into all of these things instead of the things that we criminalize people for like substance abuse, like mental health, like houselessness, how long do you want us to wait for your progress? Because right now this is certainly not what the people want. And we're tired of continuously being told to wait in order to, in order to achieve and experience the kind of personal safety and respect and dignity that we deserve. And,
2: and I will ask this question, Tim Alexander, because you, you know, you were in law enforcement. Why does an armed person need to be involved in any kind of traffic infraction.
6: Well, you mean is why why did the officers have to be armed if they're doing traffic control? Well,
2: yeah, I mean, and- it, yeah. If there's a person who went five miles over the speed limit, I mean it feels like you're if you have an if you have a hammer, <laughs> everything is it. Why are we using a violent uh you know, somebody who is armed for violence, somebody who is trained to shoot and kill, right? Why does that person need to be the person involved in a traffic stop at all?
6: I'll tell you this. I live in New Jersey and we have some of the most restrictive gun laws in the nation. Uh, I think we could be the model for the rest of the nation, but people still arm themselves and and their identities aren't known until the officer can run their license or, or look at their face, whatever the case may be. So it could be someone in there who's going to harm that person pulling that car over because maybe they just did something. And by the way, part of my training was reviewing uh, officers who were ambushed on motor vehicle stops, who were who were gunned down on uh, motor vehicle stops. So it does happen, and it continues to happen. But that, that, I mean, I don't want to conflate what we're talking about here. I just want to address why you should have armed no, no, no. Officers, what I'm saying um, is,
2: I'll ask you a similar question, uh, uh, Frank, because we live in an, an era where we have drones. We I, I've gotten traffic. Tickets, you know, when I got home because a robot in the sky saw that I had a traffic ticket. If someone is speeding, why does somebody need to call into a dispatcher to say, hey, I'm chasing this person who was driving too fast down the speed limit or driving erratically when literally if it's a matter of a ticket that they're going to receive at the end of the day, you could literally send them the ticket in the mail. So we're, why are we stopping cars because there's something wrong with a taillight? When you can photograph that fact, send them a ticket. So why are we doing, to me, it's like we have to deconstruct the whole purpose of policing. Why are they pulling people over at all?
0: Yeah, I've got the question. Um, You're asking a valid question that goes toward the larger issue of reimagining the police and what the community wants and needs. And certainly, you know, the, I don't know about your state, but the state I live in, everyone is armed and can be without license or permit. So that's reality on the street. But you're asking a, a larger question, which is what is it really that we need to deploy armed people for? And I think that's a valid question. I want to, this brings up another issue though, because we keep hearing about the scorpion unit, right? And so, t- don't let anybody tell you these people were out looking for traffic violations, right? The, these crime suppression units, these jump out squads, as some cities call them, they're about suppressing people in an aggressive way. And that's what needs to be looked at here. These people yeah. were not looking for a traffic violation.
2: Well, uh, thank you for that. And I have I, I run us right to the end of the, end of the show. So Brittany Packnett coming in. Br- Brittany Packnett coming in. Frank Pagluse, Tim Alexander. Thank you all very much. That is tonight's readout.